Does anyone out there remember Ryan's Steakhouse? If you are from the South or the East Coast, you probably have been to this steakhouse slash buffet, which is a good reminder, if you haven't grabbed your communion elements yet, you still have time to grab whatever in your house you want to use to celebrate communion together. But Ryan's Steakhouse, I mentioned it specifically because of its bread. When I was a kid, that's the first thing that popped into my head. It wasn't the mashed potatoes, the green beans, or the soft serve ice cream. Those were all bit parts in the grand story of the rolls. That's what we call them. Get your rolls, Michael, whenever we went to Ryan Steakhouse. And I would load my plate up with these delicious, buttery, soft, hot bread. I mean, and especially now, this memory, since I live in a mostly gluten-free house, it's like the best thing in the world to think about these, these rolls. And the thing about them was, like, if I put one in my pocket or a to-go box, just from the, the something happened to this bread from the time it was in the restaurant and until I was in the backseat of the car, it turned into a brick. It dried out. The flavor was sucked out of it. Maybe it was the North Carolina humidity or something like that, but it was nasty. But oh my goodness, this bread was the main feature of those meals in my childhood. And uh, since, since we're in Southern California, I have a tortilla. And uh, now this is the main feature of my meal. You can put it around the taco, but uh, and it just makes the most delicious combination of a, of a flavor and not to be too controversial, but guys, it's corn, not flour, corn tortillas. I won't judge you if you're a flour tortilla person, but seriously, it's about, it's about the corn tortilla. But these things, this is whether it's a tortilla or a roll or naan, all in every culture, there is some sort of bread and it's this common thing in a meal. And that's one reason uh, throughout history that bread keeps showing up in scripture so much. It's there from the beginning to end. And it isn't that there's something so spectacular or unique about bread that, that makes it show up in scripture. I think it's the ordinariness of bread that makes it show up in scripture so much. It's um, mereness. It's just bread. And bread, I want to submit to you, is the perfect metaphor for our lives. If we're honest, most of what we do is very ordinary. Eating, sleeping, teeth brushing, cleaning the house. We all get up and go to work. Some of it's paid work, some of it's unpaid work. We tinker at our hobbies. We do our best at whatever we're doing. We, we drive our kids around. We mow the lawn. We buy groceries. Most of what we do seems really common and mundane. And in my experience, I noticed three general reactions to the, the ordinariness of life. Some of us, as the years go by, we become resigned to how ordinary our life is and we think that we're ordinary. We can think, ah, I'm just like one of the unlucky ones. I wasn't blessed with talent. I'm not, I'm not as popular or famous as some people. I don't have the gifts that other people have. So now I'll watch from the sidelines and I guess the best I can do is cheer on the other people that are out front and have things. And I'll look at those people and, and say, that'll never be me. 
Uh, when we're resigned to the ordinariness of life, we say, I guess I'll just keep my head down and, and, and do the best I can. Like uh, when I was a kid, uh, my stepdad, who's from Alabama, used to say all the time, if you can't be a tree, be a bush. Like if we're just resigned to the ordinariness of life. We say, all right, I guess I'm not a tree. I'll, I'll, I'll be a bush, I guess. Or we can go to the opposite extreme and we can strive and press and push to keep up with everybody else, keep up with the Joneses. And we can read our books about making our lives count. We can read books about discovering our purpose and books are good. Discovering your purpose is good. But if our motivation is to say, no, I'm going to make myself something spectacular and special and I'm going to give my life meeting, well then, it just turns out that we're treating God like our agent who is promoting us, treating God like someone who is just there to help our dreams come true. And it relegates the Holy Spirit to be like our, our, our caffeine drink, our energy drink to, to fuel a frenzied pace until it all comes crashing down. Or we can take the less than approach. Like we can just say, it's worse than being resigned, we could say, okay, I'm not even ordinary. I'm less than that. Like others out there, it seems like everything they touch turns to gold, but no, that's not me. I, I, I touch things and nothing, even, nothing happens. I make things worse. We can think it's too late for me. We can think I've missed my moment. My time has passed and I've missed my mark. And we feel like our lives are have expired the best use date, like, like stale bread or stale tortillas. How do you see yourself? Have you settled for a life that doesn't matter much? Or are you on the other extreme and living with an unsustainable pace and just striving for a, a life that just feels like it's just out of reach? Or maybe you're watching this and you feel like you cannot fight this unkind voice in your head that says you don't matter. And it says that you'll never be enough and you'll never amount to enough. We're all somewhere in those, in, on those spectrums and maybe we have two or three of those going on at the same time. If that's you, I have really good news for you. Nothing in this world is as common as it seems. Not even bread. Bread isn't merely a common food. In scripture, Bread is a picture of God's provision. In, in, in the early scriptures, it's the sustenance that arrives directly from God's hand. When the, the children of Israel were in the wilderness, it literally fell from the sky. And this day-to-day, moment-by-moment nourishment for the people of Israel came directly from God. In the promised land, when they finally arrived, uh, they were to see that God was the provider. Even though they were working the land and farming and, and the land that God gave them was good, God was still the source of bread. Bread was used as a, as a metaphor for the first five books of the Bible. Uh, the Bible talks about it as coming from heaven. Uh, the instructions that came to Moses on Mount Sinai like they, they thought about those 10 commandments like, like they were bread. There's, there's encouragements and commands to feed on the commandments. In Deuteronomy, it says, we don't live by bread alone. The connection between scripture nourishing our souls 
is more power saying like, hey, we, we gotta nourish everything even more than bread. That's what these scriptures are. But we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And they were to consume scripture just like people consume bread. And then we come to Jesus who fed people both physically and spiritually and referred to himself as the bread of life. And today our, our main text is Matthew 26, 26 at this meal. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Like <laughs> The bread, unleavened bread was his body. And as he commanded his disciples to do this and to, to continue this tradition and celebrate this meal, it became the way that the church remembers Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen returning one with these simple, common, everyday elements, bread and wine. No, bread is not ordinary. And I have good news for you that your lives your life is not ordinary. You are not common. God works with the common. That's what makes you uncommon. Your life in the hands of God. Bread in the hands of Jesus was extraordinary. Your life in the hands of Jesus becomes extraordinary. That's God's specialty. He works with the imperfect. He works with the inadequate. I like to say sometimes God shows off. It is God's specialty, and nothing in this world, including you, is as common as it seems. When he takes this seemingly ordinary stuff in your life, and he fills it with his glory, God's not working against the order of the world. That's what I used to think miracles were, that God's somehow reversing. No, when, when God makes the ordinary extraordinary, when God shows up in our lives, God's making it what it was designed to be. Our lives are designed to be a carrier for God's glory. So I mentioned that, uh, that I would go to Ryan's Steakhouse and get the bread when I lived in North Carolina, and our, our house was in the forest. And I would spend hours in the forest with my dog, just a, a bunch of trees, uh, kudzu vines. But when I was out there, it wasn't just a forest. With my imagination and my boyhood uh, imagination, this forest, it wasn't just trees. It became a jungle. Uh, snakes in the forest weren't just common gardener snakes or black snakes. To me, they were giant pythons, and I was an explorer, and, and my golden retriever wasn't just a dog. It became Battle Cat from He-Man. Like, we were having adventures. And I was reflecting on this and thinking about how sometime between late elementary school and high school, that trees just become trees. Vines just become weeds. Our dog is just a dog. Like, things become ordinary to us if we fall asleep to life. And we can think that we're the problem. Years later, we can think that I messed it up, or I got the wrong job, or I got the wrong house, or I got the wrong friends. What if it's just that we've lost our ability to see? What if we haven't cultivated the ability to see what God is doing around us? So many of us no longer perceive the glory of God around us. 
What if we've lost our holy imagination? God, Jesus said to, to become like a little child. What if we began to rekindle this awareness that God is all around us? Like the psalmist said in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all around who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. In Psalm 57, it said, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. And in Isaiah's dramatic vision, in chapter 6, verse 3, Isaiah says, The whole earth is full of God's glory. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Think about that, though. Maybe you're like me. I've always thought of God's holiness as something that's distant and different and far away from us. And that's true. Like to be holy is to be different and completely other than anything else. That is the the biblical, especially Hebrew concept of holiness. It is the complete opposite of common. And that's true. At the same time, In one sense, these scriptures are saying that this otherness is that that's all that's true of God. There's more because his holiness is filtering in to our everyday commonness and filtering in to this world. What Isaiah saw was something beyond what we imagine, that God is holy and his glory and his holiness fills the earth. God is not only above and beyond creation, he's also somehow in it. God is holy and he's filling the common with the holy. And long before Isaiah wrote that, there was Jacob. Jacob, who's on the run from his brother, his, his, uh, his life is a complete mess. And in a dream, Jacob falls asleep exhausted, has this vision from God. God says in Genesis 28, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham and of your father, Isaac, remembering like that, that you're my son, Jacob. I've got you. He was reminding Jacob that he wasn't cut off from his heritage. And the best part is it uh, comes in, in, uh, in verse 15, that God reminds Jacob that I'm with you. I was with your grandpa. I was with your dad. And I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. It was a personal promise, not just for other people, but with Jacob. And Jacob wakes up and says, God was in this place and I didn't know it. How many times when we stopped and realized that God's provision was right there, or maybe we don't even understand it until we have the benefit of looking back on a circumstance or back over a couple years of our life. Like these scriptures, and, and I think what God's trying to teach us today, it's a, it's a description of the world beginning to awaken to the nearness of God. If you're watching this today and you're feeling alone, you have a church family that's praying for you. You have a God that sees you and is right there with you. God wants to bring you comfort today. Because we all have those times like Jacob has. We're running from something. Maybe we've been scheming to better our fortunes or think that no one else is going to look out for us so we have to grab for ourselves. Maybe we've stretched and manipulated the truths like Jacob. We've all felt like that, like we are alone. We've all felt like 
Is there even a God? And if so, he's far away. Guys, God is not far away. Look at what, what, what God does with our lives. Your life is bread in Jesus's hands. Every time Jesus took bread in his hands, he did the same few things. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. The author Luke highlighted this more than any other New Testament author. But these words can reshape our lives. We can think they're common, but when we see our lives like bread in the hands of Jesus, we see that, that Jesus took it and he blessed it by giving thanks to the Father and he broke it and he gave it out. And it's blessed in the hands of Jesus. Our lives they can be as common as ordinary bread, but in the hands of Jesus, they become something so much more. So let's look at those words, blessed. It's not like the normal, uh, in our culture, hashtag blessed. <laughs> it's not about getting more stuff. Blessed means being called good. Jesus wants to help you recover your identity and your calling. Jesus wants to remind you when he's blessing you of what your true name is, what, what, who you were really created to be. Scripture tells us that once we were sinners, tells us now we're saints, we're redeemed. Once we were lost and far off, but now, now we're adopted sons and daughters of the living God. We, that's what it means to be blessed. Broken. Anyone feel like they're broken? <laughs> A lot of us walk around, we've got some scars and some limps. Life is thrown at us, uh, circumstances have thrown at us, our own choices sometimes. Uh, we're so aware of our brokenness. But when you place your brokenness and your failure and your frailty and all that suffering into Jesus' hands, you become open to the grace of God. This isn't about wallowing in your sin or focusing on how bad you've been. To be broken is to allow the grace of God to humble you, but it makes you vulnerable and you begin this journey of heart transformation. To say, I am broken. But, but if I wasn't broken, like the bread, I can't be shared. It's hard to share a whole piece of bread unless you break it. And then in the hands of God, not only are we blessed, not only are we, we give God our brokenness, but we're given just a reminder, we're not here for ourselves. I have a friend, Glenn, who says that life with Jesus is personal, but never private. I mean, that'll preach. Life with Jesus is totally personal, but it's not supposed to be just for you. It's not supposed to be a secret. God wants to, to, to give you out to others. And don't start thinking that means you have to do something that we think is extraordinary. In the hands of God, when God gives your life, God will give you and use you to help people in ways you may not even know. Like you are a gift if you're in the hands of Jesus. It's not just about doing. It's about when your life is restored and your brokenness is you're finding healing in Jesus. The people in your world are going to notice. It may just be as simple as letting God heal your brokenness and as you share your life, like God is using you as a vessel for his glory to encourage others.
So over the next few weeks, I want us to talk a lot more and unpack these ideas and explore them about what it means to be blessed, broken, and given. But what does that mean to be blessed, broken, and given together? So I have a challenge for you this week about what's common, a challenge about, about uh, wonder. What if we became easily delighted this week? I'm totally stealing this idea from my wife. She's been teaching me about how healthy it is to lower your bar for joy. That doesn't mean, uh, that doesn't mean lower your expectations. That doesn't mean just be resigned to life, but to stop and quite literally smell the roses. Like how, how often do we get so trapped in just the grind of life and all the things that, that we wish we could fix and we wish that we're different, but we don't just stop to take, do simple things like take a walk or enjoy a couple minutes of silence. Um, for me, it's being outside. It doesn't even have to be in a park. I can just go and, and look at clouds like I used to when I was a kid. But as I'm almost like reverse engineering my joy, because then as a teenager and in our culture and a young adult, it's like, mm, been there, done that. We're expecting things to escalate. But God wants us to never lose that sense that, that wonder is just around the corner. So let's become easily delighted in one or two things this week. Maybe it's just your dog walks up to you and snuggles you. Like, I'm a dog person. That does it for me. <laughs> like, you could easily skip by that. But like, if that happens this week, stop and enjoy it and realize this is just one way God is showing off. And communion, it's the symbol that helps us understand this. It's simple. And, and today I have McUnion with me. It's the Pop Top Communions. It doesn't get much more simple or common than this cracker. But it's a symbol that helps us understand that in the hands of God, even the most common things can become extraordinary. And it helps us to wrap our minds. These are symbols that, that remind us of Jesus' body in his blood, yes, it's juice in my case, it's 10 a.m., it's just juice, uh, and a cracker. But it's a reminder of something that's so much deeper. Richard, it's a reminder of our salvation. So get your elements ready. And I want to read this uh, again, Matthew 26, 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. So dear Jesus, we thank you for your broken body, for your blood poured out. God, we ask that as we place our lives in your hands, that you will open our eyes to your glory all around us. We remember your sacrifice and remember your life and we ask that you would be the God we know you are. And we take this meal together, the symbolic meal in Jesus' name, amen. So why don't you partake of the bread with me? Take the juice or orange juice or whatever you have with you. And remember Jesus' sacrifice. These simple things remind us of these great, complex 
big ideas of where all of this is headed, where this whole God-created universe is headed towards redemption, being rebuilt and restored. And so no matter where you're at today, I wanna just invite you to pray this ancient prayer of the Christian church as we conclude our time together and, and to put your life, whatever it is you're worried about, whatever's too heavy for you, to put that in the hands of Jesus. Come, Creator Spirit. Come, Holy Ghost. Creator, come. From thy bright and heavenly throne, come. Take possession of our souls and make them all thine own. So we pray, God, that all of this that you've created, that was created for you, by you, through you, that, that we would take whatever step that is to give you control of our thoughts and our minds and our hearts and the situation in our life. And God, in this moment, we trust that you are the God that's holding all of this together. So as we surrender our lives to you once again, please open our eyes to see your glory all around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for spending a couple of moments out of your week with us. God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and may God give you his peace. We'll see you real soon.